Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Before we get into today's episode, I'm starting a new 59 Second Friday series on YouTube, and I'm currently building out new episodes all about personal branding. So if that sounds like something you'd like to check out, you can subscribe over at youtube.com slash joshmiles. I really appreciate every single subscriber, so thanks for hitting up youtube.com slash joshmiles and hitting that subscribe button. Today on Obsessed with Design, I'm chatting with Anna Saracino, product designer at Trello. Anna is well-versed in leading UX and product teams to effectively frame and prioritize problems, as well as explore, test, and scale user-centered solutions. I'm also curious to discuss how Anna brings soft skills to the table, including directed empathy, curiosity, diplomatic leadership, communication, and presentation skills. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Anna Saracino. Okay, kids, today on Obsessed with Design, I'm back in my old building, Circle Tower, in downtown Indianapolis to chat with Anna Saracino, product designer at Trello. Anna, you and I were connected through a virtual rabbit hole of introductions just a few months back and finally got the chance to sit down together for one of my rare in-person interviews. So, Anna, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. So, from my expert LinkedIn snooping, I see that you've been in the UX design game, a few different companies from Salesforce to some healthcare design, and now with Trello. But I always enjoy hearing origin stories. So, Maybe tell us a little bit about you found, how you found yourself in the design industry and really how you wound up at Trello. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my path to design is a little bit different from a lot of the other designers that I know. Um, I actually went to college to study public health. Um, I was especially interested in public health education. Um, I did a lot of volunteer work with HIV AIDS education and outreach, um, and I really wanted to make a career out of it. Um, But as an undergraduate student, I also worked um, in the IT support center at Indiana University um, because it was one of the best paying jobs on campus. I didn't know anything about technology or computers. My friend who already worked there basically told me what I needed to know to ace the interview. (laughs) Um, And uh, so I got a job there. And that's really what um, what kind of got me into technology. And in that job, um, I really fell in love with um, figuring out how to find creative ways to solve problems with technology. Um, So after undergrad, um, I decided um, that I would continue volunteering in the public health arena, um, but I wanted to get a job in the tech sector. Um, So I actually got a job as a technical writer at Indiana University. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. So I worked at the IU Knowledge Base, um, writing articles, basically uh, helping people with their technology. Um, I spent a couple of years doing that. It was great experience to have, um, but um, I got a little bit antsy after doing that for a few years. As you do. Um, yes. So, um, so I started to explore, you know, what, what could my career path be? After that, um, I was still definitely interested in the health side of things. I was still very interested in the technology side of things. 
Um, but I've also always had kind of a more artistic creative side as well. So I was kind of looking for ways to incorporate all of those sides of myself into a career. Um, so I started looking at the graduate course catalog at IU in Bloomington, and I found a class called Health Informatics. Mm. Um, and that seemed really interesting to me. Um, so I enrolled in that class. Uh, and we spent the semester basically um, using human-centered design methods to solve really complex health issues. Um, and that was just like the most exciting thing to me because it was taking creativity, it was taking technology, um, and it was applying it to you know the health arena. So maybe for folks who aren't familiar with that term, can mm -hmm. you give us a little description of what human-centered design, like break that down into yeah. English. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you would probably hear different definitions from everybody who uses the, the term. Sure. Um, but I would probably describe it as, um, as very kind of purpose driven design where, um, the things you are designing are, um, solving problems for people. Um, so mm -hmm. before you even start doing any kind of design work, you are talking to people from a specific population who have a very specific need um, or are facing a very specific problem, you get a really deep understanding of that problem, um, and then you do design work in order to find the best solution to that problem. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so through that class, um, I discovered that there was a graduate program called Human Computer Interaction Design, or HCID, which is also a weird phrase that <laughs> is hard to understand. It kind of sounds like um, I'm learning how to like make robots or something, but that's not at all. Or perhaps what like a is. keyboarding and mouse using class. Yes, like this, is, <laughs> exactly. this is how a human interfaces with such machine. Yes, um, it it is not that at all. It is it is uh, basically learning how to do the process that I kind of just explained how to, um, you know, help get to the, the heart of problems that people are facing and how to go about um, designing the best solutions to them. Um, and when I found out that that was actually a field I could go into, I knew like that's, that's exactly what I want to do because it can take everything that I'm interested in um, and I can make a career out of it. Um, so... After that class, I, uh, I remained a technical writer for another year while going to school part-time, but then I decided, like, you know what, I just need to fast-track this. So I quit my job, became a full-time student, uh, finished my uh, master's degree in 2012, um, and since then, um, I've been at a variety of companies um, as a UX designer, product designer, interaction designer, lots of different titles, basically doing the same thing. <laughs> So um, did you have um, like a design interest before all of this came together? Was there, there, was there a creative piece on the visual side that kind of paired up with this? Or was that introduced after this whole human-computer interaction thing? Yeah, I've, I've always been, uh, I would say uh, there was more of an artistic side to me. Like I've always enjoyed drawing and sketching and painting um, and, you know, and, and music and composing mm -hmm. and, and, you know, kind of, I've, I've always had a very artistic side. I, I would say before I discovered this human computer interaction design field, this user experience field, I never 
you know, thought of myself as a designer or I never said like, I want to be a designer when I grow up. Um, but I, you know, I had this kind of creative side to me that ended up manifesting itself as a designer in my career. Yeah. Very cool. I love, um, the stories and actually one of our very recent episodes with Titus Smith at ESPN was a very similar path where Mm -hmm. he sort of discovered his interest in design after he was out of school, I think. And, um, so it, it's cool to, to find people who didn't just always know they wanted to do this for a living, but you know, it just sort of found them. So yeah. I think that's cool too. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that, um, going to school for public health has really helped my career mm-hmm. as a designer. Um, because in, you know, in doing volunteer work for public health and and going to school for public health, a lot of what you learn is about how to understand the populations that you're trying to affect and, Mm -hmm. you know, design services and design communications and design resources that really help affect behavior change and help people live healthier lives. And there are so many lessons from the public health sector that can be applied to the design field as well. Well, maybe catch us up. I know you and I had a chance to talk a little before the top of the show mm-hmm. about kind of how you wound up at Trello, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, not the most direct path. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so yeah, ever, ever since I, um, I got my master's degree, I've always, I've always done in-house design. Um, I've, I've always kind of toyed around with the idea of joining an agency. Um, but what I like about in-house design work is that you get to go really deep in a Mm -hmm. certain problem area with a specific population. Um, and that really appeals to me. Um, so, you know, I've been at part of, uh, design teams that are, you know, a hundred plus designers on them all the way down to a design team of one, you know, Mm. I'm the only designer at my company. Um, so last year, um, at one of the, um, healthcare companies that I worked at as a designer, um, unfortunately they did some layoffs, um, and I was one of them. Mm -hmm. So I found myself, um, looking for my next, uh, big opportunity. Um, and it ended up being a blessing in disguise because, um, through that experience, I made a lot of connections in Indianapolis. I did a lot of freelancing, um, met a lot of amazing designers, uh, talked to a lot of really cool companies. One of the companies that I interviewed with, um, back then, uh, last November was Trello. Um, and it was interesting because I found that during a job search, um, this is probably in many fields, but especially Mm -hmm. as a designer, it's so hard to get an interview unless you have some sort of personal connection at the company, especially in smaller companies. Yes, exactly. Um, so when I saw a job opening at Trello, um, I figured it was kind of a crapshoot because I didn't have any connections there, but I was just like, you know what, that job would be amazing. I'm just going to apply there. Uh, and I was amazed to get, uh, an interview. Um, it was a pretty long interview process. Um, but unfortunately, uh, last November, um, what they realized is that they didn't have a business entity set up in the state of Indiana. Um, so at the time they could not hire me, which was a total bummer all around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I ended up, um, doing other design work, uh, in the months following up, but, um, 
uh, this year in, um, it was late April or early May, um, Trello got back in touch with me um, and uh, they had finally established a business entity in the state of Indiana. Um, Trello uh, was acquired by Atlassian uh, a couple years back. Um, so it was actually Atlassian who established a business entity here in Indiana. They could finally hire in Indiana um, and they had one last spot on their design team. Um, and, uh, that's when I joined Trello. So I was so excited that it worked out in the end, but it was kind of a long path. Well, yeah. Congratulations on that. Um, well, maybe you could inspire or inform our listeners to tell them a little bit about what your role as a product designer, specifically at Trello, Mm -hmm. what that looks like day to day. Is that lots of meetings or lots of head down time or Mm -hmm. is it? you know, sketching on paper or meeting with focus groups or, you know, a little bit of all those things. Like what does a normal day or week look like for you? Yeah, it's honestly, it's a little bit of everything and and each week looks a little bit different. So I would say, uh, so far my job has been fairly equal parts, um, kind of tactical design, strategic design, um, with some research sprinkled in there as well. Um, Being a um, mostly remote team, um, Trello is probably about um, 70 to 75% remote. Um, We don't have a ton of overlapping time when we're all working. So usually uh, like noon to 5 p.m. Eastern is when we have meetings Mm -hmm. um, because that's when most of the people are working. But I would say, um, you know, kind of on the strategic end of my job, I work really closely. We work in triads, um, triads meaning a product designer, a product manager, and an engineering manager. Mm. Um, And the triads kind of lead a um, cross-functional team that focus on a specific product area. Oh, that's really Um, cool. The product that I work on within Trello um, is the enterprise edition of Trello. So basically Trello for very large companies that have um, basically like teams of teams Mm -hmm. working in Trello. Um, And there are a lot of really kind of unique needs for enterprise customers within Trello. Um, So our team kind of tackles those, those challenges. So I'm definitely familiar with Trello because Mm -hmm. it's something I used um, as I was writing my second book. So it's how I, I kept my project process all nice and tidy and my former agency is big fans of Trello as mm-hmm. well. We were big users from a kind of global project management standpoint, but maybe give us an idea of what one enterprise specific feature might be. What's something that the big boys need that, that us, you know, solo folks just won't ever tap into. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest need for um, an enterprise Trello user is definitely surrounding um, security. Mm. Um, and, um, a lot of it is um, around um, basically uh, allowing IT admins to kind of have control over what the entire enterprise is doing, whether controlling um, whether or not people within the enterprise can create public Trello boards, because you can create a, a Trello board that is um, searchable on Google. You know, and as an IT admin in a company, you may not want somebody creating (laughs) a public board like that. Um, So most of the most of the features that we do for enterprise are around security um, and and basically making it so that um, you can be very secure with your content while using Trello in a in a big way with your company. 
So you would still have all the benefits of being able to share it within a team or mm-hmm. with the collaborators, but mm-hmm. you're really locking it down mm-hmm. so that all the bad guys can't can't see what you're up to. And yeah, exactly. And and in addition, doing it in a way that doesn't negatively affect the great Trello user experience of kind of the, the end users, the people who are using Trello every day. So largely the experience of using the product is, is very much the same. Mm-hmm. And it's really just kind of addressing those needs that um, your enterprise IT guys mm-hmm. cringe when they think about yes. <laughs> things yeah. getting out into the Googles. and Exactly. Um, yeah, that all makes sense. So tell me a little bit about what your, your personal design process looks like. Yeah, um, I probably a lot of designers would answer this way, but my first answer to that question is always, it depends. Um, (laughs) I would say, um, one of the things that I'm a a biggest proponent of at the start of a process is really getting a a good definition of what problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there are multiple problems you're trying to solve, getting a clear prioritization of how important those problems are. Um, and assuming that you're working on a team, uh, making sure that there is collaboration and consensus on defining and prioritizing your problem. Um, that's always where I start in my process. Um, usually when people ask me, um, you know, what's my advice to any like new designer to the world? I usually say like, always know what problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. If you're unclear of what problem you're trying to solve, push back on your product manager, push back on whoever is working on your team so you can know what problem you're trying to solve. Um, from there, it's usually a process um, where you um, kind of diverge and converge, where you're um, you know, going broad and thinking about as many solutions as possible and then using various methods to take this um, collection of possible solutions and narrowing it down to the best solution and likely going through many iterations of that process. Um, and there are of course many methods to do both, um, ideating on potential solutions and taking a bunch of potential solutions and narrowing them down to, to one solution. So it's usually kind of a, an iterative process depending on how much time I have for a (laughs) project. Um, and, you know, lastly, I would say I, I try to be as collaborative as possible with the team that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, instead of going off in my corner as a designer and doing all of this design work and then taking it to a team of developers and saying like, this is what I designed. Now you go build it. Um, I try to keep developers as involved as possible in the design process, um, showing them, Uh, my design work as it's in progress. Um, A lot of times I try to include them in critique sessions or Mm -hmm. even in collaborative design sessions because I find developers often have very awesome ideas um, that we can incorporate into the design. Um, And I'm sure they don't always get asked or, you know, sort of stereotypically, I think it is the designer comes to the developer and says, Mm -hmm. make this, and the developer says, that can't be done. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's usually what most processes look like, I think. But it's it's a different animal when you can sit down with the developer and show them what you're trying to solve and how you're thinking about it and let them weigh in exactly early and often. And and that always, you know, it, it brings up if there are any issues of feasibility, it's so important to bring those up early mm. 
in the process instead of having to change an entire design right before handoff, um, address e issues of feasibility up front so that you can design based off of those as well. Yeah, so how does your um, sort of group process work as far as, like is it the triad who determines what you're gonna make next or change next or improve or add or mm -hmm. take away or is that kind of coming from outside of your triad and gets handed to you as here's a you know rank order list of problems to be solved and you guys decide when they happen or how does it how does that work yeah it's a it's a little bit of both um so um leadership is definitely um you know somewhat reliant on um on folks in product teams as well as sales folks support folks um to kind of bubble up issues that our customers are having or requests that they have. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of kind of mechanisms in place to identify like strategically what should our company be doing next. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of kind of organic things coming from the bottom up. Um, at the same time, in order for us to move forward together as a company, there are some top down um, basically goals and objectives that are identified at the top and then all of the triads um, work together to kind of carry out those objectives. So we might be given a high level objective, um, but then the triad works together to figure out how are we going to carry out that objective. Totally picturing like a beehive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yeah. Well, tell me about um, maybe rough spots for you. And what I'm thinking about is, I mean, so many of us will hit a wall and whether it's creative block or you're just, just having a rough day or, you know, how do you work through things like that personally and, and what helps you to kind of get back after it? I would say, um, it's to get through a rough spot. It's always helpful for me to, talk to somebody else and that can be difficult for me because mm. I tend to be fairly introverted. Um, I think, uh, I, I usually describe myself as an outgoing introvert. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of designers I've met describe themselves similarly where like they're okay in small groups or they're okay in one-on-one -on -one conversations. But if they've done too much socializing or too many meetings in one day, they just want to go home and not talk to anybody. Right. That's, that's kind of how, how I am. So if I get in a rough patch, um, sometimes I kind of have to force myself to reach out to other people mm. to, um, you know, just kind of talk through whatever issue I'm having. Um, and sometimes what that looks like is me, um, reaching out to the rest of the design team that I work with and sharing the work that I'm on and just saying, Hey, I'm stuck. Does anybody want to get on a video call right now and kind of work through this with me. Um, sometimes it looks like stepping outside of the people that I work with and reaching out to other um, mentors or connections that I have here in Indianapolis um, and, you know, kind of getting advice or having conversations with them. Um, sometimes it even involves like talking to a non-designer, like just, you know, talking to my wife about something, just kind of stepping outside of the designer world for a little bit and then stepping back in. But it's usually some form of stepping outside of my own brain and having somebody, um, help me look at things from a different perspective. Is there anything, especially on the product side or software side 
that's like a big red flag for you as the project starts? Is there anything that jumps out that you just know things won't end well because of this thing that stands out? I would say if there is a lack of definition around what success looks like Mm -hmm. for a certain project or a certain initiative, that's a huge red flag for me. Or even if, you know, there's a discussion about what success looks like, but it's something that's not actually measurable. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it seems like everybody's on the same page, uh, I, I feel like I can almost guarantee that at the end of the project there will be disagreement on whether or not it's successful so when they say we want you to make the interface cooler right exactly (laughs) what does cooler mean (laughs) that makes sense well on the flip side what are maybe some of your favorite types of projects to work on Ooh, that's a good question um when I think about my favorite types of projects, I think about the different um, the different sides of the spectrum in terms of how many constraints there are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really fun to work with hardly any constraints at all yeah. and just go totally blue sky, like kind of whatever we want to do. Um, don't have to think about technological constraints. Don't have to think about business constraints. Just go wild with what do you think an amazing user experience would be without having to consider anything else. Uh, On the flip side, I think it's a really fun challenge to work with a lot of constraints because I think out of constraints comes a lot of creativity, kind of out of necessity. Um, Well, I think that's in line too with your whole definition of success Mm -hmm. thing so you know I think you're set up really well to know what to do and you can sort of be as creative as possible within the constraints in in that regard right exactly so this is this is not a trick question but how do you keep yourself organized oh no (laughs) (laughs) well obviously Trello (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's, what's funny though, is, um, I, I've used, um, Trello personally for a long time and I've used it at various jobs too. Um, but seeing how Trello is used at Trello is mind blowing. Like I'm part of so many Trello boards. It's amazing. (laughs) So that's, that's how I stay organized at work. Um, so is this like the matrix thing where once you see how Trello is used at Trello, you never see it the same? It might be. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I mean, the, the good thing, this is kind of a, a side note, is that the, the people who work at, at Trello uh, realize that the average Trello user does not use Trello like a Trello employee uses Trello. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I... Uh, I would say I should probably improve on how I stay organized. Um, I definitely, the number one thing I rely on right now to stay, to feel organized is Google Calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, Because between work, uh, my wife and I are fostering two little boys right now. So we have a lot of different kid activities. We have people coming in and out of our house all the time. And then just various um, activities throughout the community. If I didn't have my Google calendar, um, especially shared events with my wife um, and with work, um, I would probably be lost. So I would say Google calendar is my answer to that. That's a good one. Tell me about one of your proudest professional moments. 
Oh. I mean, I I have a lot of proud moments that um, just have to do with, you know, designing something that I then I then see how valuable it is to the people that I'm designing for. Um, but I would say one of my proudest design moments. So I, um, within the last few years, I started volunteering with um, an organization called Girl Develop It, um, the Indianapolis oh, yeah. chapter. Um, they offer a lot of different classes and workshops to um, girls, uh, women, really anybody who wants to learn how to code um, and learn uh, kind of various other tech skills. So they contacted me because they wanted to start offering uh, more kind of design and user experience related workshops. Um, so I started teaching a basically like an intro to UX design workshop. Uh, and a, a really proud moment I can think of is um, we one of the things we taught in the workshop was paper prototyping. Oh, yeah. Um, which is basically instead of um, designing a like a, a website or an interface um, using a computer, um, you use paper to do it. Yeah. Um, and you can be creative and use things like post-its or cut things out to do like overlays or switching between screens or drop downs. Um, and it's a, a very low fidelity way to very quickly um, kind of carry out an idea. Uh, and one of my proudest moments was um, after we taught that skill and I saw this room full of women who most of whom had never learned anything about UX, creating these amazing paper prototypes that would have held up really well in any professional development. And I just felt so proud that, you know, sharing the knowledge and skills that I have have given like this room full of women these skills that they could use in their jobs, whether or not they were UX designers. That's really awesome. I remember being at a pitch um, a couple years ago where one of the founders said, um, sort of answering how they prototyped their app, that it was it was the best and most effective prototype he'd ever done, and it was all because they started with paper. Mm -hmm. And they took that around to investors and showed that to stakeholders, and that's how they got buy-in, and that's how they made changes and adjustments to the business idea before they ever wrote the first line of code or you know, drop the first pixel into Photoshop or Illustrator, so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much easier to get feedback on a paper prototype because when you show it to people, it's so obvious that that's not the final product. So people are a lot more honest when they mm. give you feedback on a paper prototype. Do you have any design heroes? Oh man, I, I probably have a lot of them. Um, I would say um, one that comes to mind is um, Amy Cueva. She's the um, one of the founders of um, MadPow in Boston. They are um, a design agency. They um, are super heavy into um, service design. They do a lot of healthcare design, mm. financial services design. Um, and MadPow also um, created the Center for Healthcare Experience Design. Uh -huh. um, and they have a health experience design conference every year. They're just kind of like my design heroes. I love looking at their case studies. Um, Amy has this really great TED Talk about purpose-driven design um, in which she talks about um, how when you design an object, um, it's not just an object it's actually part of an entire network or an entire 
ecosystem. So whenever you design something, um, it never lives alone. It has an effect on everything around it. And that's why, you know, when you design, you can affect a lot of positive change. Um, so she has a lot to say about um, really purpose-driven design. Um, and that's, that's always very inspiring to me. That's super cool. I'll have to track down her TED talk and drop that in the show notes for today's episode. And also Amy, if you're listening, we'll have to, we'll have to have you on the show. That sounds really interesting. So I find that most designers are typically obsessed with many things. What do you find that you are most obsessed with right now? I would say I'm most obsessed with uh, Chef Christina Tozzi and her milk bar empire. I don't know if you're familiar with her at I all. I don't oh know my about gosh. this. <laughs> so Christina Tozzi is this amazing chef. Um, she has, um, it's, it's basically this line of bakeries and an online store called Milk Bar. Mm -hmm. um, it was born out of, there's a, a ramen restaurant called uh, Momofuku. Okay, um, I've heard and, of this. Yeah, so she spun out her own um, her own baked goods empire. Mm. And what's so inspiring about her is that she uses very um, approachable ingredients in really uh, innovative ways. So one of the things that she offers in her stores is cereal milk ice cream. So it's ice cream that is made out of milk that was soaked in, I believe it's just cornflakes. Oh, wow. A lot of her ingredients are really, um, like I said, just approachable kind of like Americana ingredients, but but used in very different ways. And so they're is all Milk amazing. Bar an ice cream shop? Uh, they sell ice cream and they sell baked goods and they okay. sell coffee as well. So I told you I don't know about this thing, mm -hmm. but I, I walked by one of her places in Soho a couple of weeks ago yes. and the line was down the sidewalk and around yes. the building. And I was like, what in the world? I go there every bar? time. <laughs> Maybe you were in line yeah. when, when I walked by. But I, I think, you know, it's, you know, not only do I love to eat her baked goods, but it's also, I like to derive inspiration for my own work from other kind of design related disciplines mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the the thing the ways that she works are really inspiring to me um you know when when i'm doing design work for a product you know sometimes i i think about you know how can i use really approachable elements in innovative ways kind yeah. of like what she does with her baked goods. Um, so I, I try to draw a lot of parallels from what, what she's doing. Um, there's also a really good chef's table episode about her on Netflix. Oh, cool. So well, you should watch I'll that. definitely check that out. Do you have any dream projects that you'd like to do in the future? Oh yeah. Um, let's see. One of the ideas that I've been toying around with. So, um, as I mentioned, my wife and I are foster parents and the process to become a foster parent is so drawn out and there is a huge stack of paperwork that we had to basically manage ourselves just all of these completely different forms and i swear i wrote my name and address and social security number at least 26 times like it's, it's like 10 times worse than a mortgage application yeah, yeah yeah exactly um and you know you you take that with the fact that um 
the state of Indiana especially is in desperate need of more foster parents. So there's this right. high barrier sure. of entry um, and there is this really high need. So a dream project of mine would be... With a giant choke point in the system. Yes. So you've got great demand and all this need mm -hmm. and and then they just can't get it through. Yes, exactly. So a dream project of mine would be to really you know, look at that process, kind of evaluate it and find a way to make it a lot more streamlined. So there's a lot lower barrier to entry. That sounds amazing. And, uh, if anybody listening has the right context to make this happen, make the introductions. We'll, we'll make this happen. Yeah. Something like it exists in California. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is it is kind of just in place. It's basically just digitizing the paperwork. Oh, sure. Um, but I would I would my dream project since we're talking about dream projects is to kind of go one step forward and make it a little bit more of an inc inclusive of the entire like paperwork and training and beyond and all of that. Oh, so yeah. if anybody wants to pair with me on that, <laughs> let me know. That sounds awesome. All right, listeners, be sure and tweet at Obsessed Show if you have any thoughts for us. So one other thing that I'm really curious about, especially with your, your UX and interaction design perspective is I think a lot of designers can either be blessed or ruined in that everything that we look at, it's through the lens of a designer. Mm -hmm. What are things out there or what's maybe one thing in particular right now that it just drives you crazy? I would say one thing that drives me crazy is, um, and it didn't drive me crazy until until more recently, uh, designers really like to talk about process. And I think that's a really good thing, but I think the majority of the time when designers talk about process, they're talking about their own design process in a vacuum mm -hmm. and it's never inclusive of how does the di design process fit into the larger kind of business and development process. Um, and I think because designers are always, um, you know, feeling a little bit frustrated about like, oh, I, you know, my company doesn't see my value or, you know, I, I don't fit in well enough with my company. Um, if we stop talking about our process, like it's this thing that exists in a vacuum and, and start talking more about how design provides value to a business or to an organization or to a team, um, I think we could get further. Um, so I, w I would love for designers to start talking more about, um, you know, how, how we fit into the business world a little better. What would maybe a good first step be? So if I'm, I'm a designer, mm -hmm. I'm in house mm -hmm. and I'm sort of in that rut that you just described, mm -hmm. what's the first simple step that I could take to start to demonstrate value like that? I always recommend asking smart questions. Um, I think a lot of times um, people see asking questions as a sign of weakness, but I think it's a sign of, of strength. Um, and specifically um, on this topic, I would ask questions of, you know, your product manager, of the developers you're, you work with. Um, you know, how, how, what's your ideal way of working with a designer? What's your style? Uh, what are some uh, great designers you've worked with in the past? What has gone well? What have you been frustrated with in the past? And just kind of learn from experiences that have happened and start to kind of improve based on those. 
Well, Anna, this has been very insightful and I've enjoyed talking with you today. But um, before we let you go, can you let our listeners know where they can track you and Trello down online and to learn more about both? Yeah. Um, well, Trello is just available at Trello.com. Um, and if you would like to find me online, you can find me um, on Twitter, Anna underscore Saraceno, S-A-R-A-C-E-N-O. Um, you can also find me on Medium, Anna Saraceno. Excellent. Well, Anna, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for chatting today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Thank you very much. Okay, kids, that's show number 107 officially in the books. Don't forget to check out my new 59 Second Friday series about personal branding on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Josh Miles. And it would definitely mean a lot to me if you'd hit that subscribe button. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already, while you're there, you can add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some of the cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Also, we've added links to the show on all the places you can find it. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed with Design from there. Just head over to ObsessedShow.com to find those links. Also at iTunes, make sure and hit subscribe for Obsessed with Design. We'd love to have a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.